We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're super excited to announce our new sponsor, Oakley. Express your style and build a look that's made for you. And because it's almost summer, that means you need to upgrade your sunglasses game now. Check out oakley.com to get yourself a pair today. My personal favorites are the Holbrooks, just a clean, classic look. Oakley even offers prism lens technology. What the hell is that, you ask? It's proprietary technology to Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want to know more? I know you do, so head over to oakley.com and do your research. While you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday sunglasses that'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me. Try for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglasses brands and can assure you Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head over to Oakley.com for more information today. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in. Trevor Lane here for LakersNation.com. This is the LakersNation.com podcast. I appreciate all of you joining me. The offseason, it is officially here. But today, what I want to talk about is a shift that this offseason represents and this playoff series represents in the NBA as a whole and what it means for the future of your Los Angeles Lakers. I think we are in the middle of a shift in the way NBA teams are constructed, in the direction of the league itself. And I think that's going to be a very important context and a very important thing for the Lakers to understand as they build out the next versions of their team. And I'm talking even post LeBron James. So settle in. That's what I want to get into today. Make sure you are subscribing to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Lakers Nation. And of course, don't forget to follow us over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you listen to podcasts. Always heartwarming to read the positive comments that come in over on Apple Podcasts with those five-star reviews. Those are absolutely fantastic and a great way to help out the show. And then, of course, over on the YouTube side, hit that like button. Let us know your thoughts, what you think about the shift we're seeing in the NBA, what it means for the Lakers in the comment section. Love all the discussion that gets going in there as well. So, again, appreciate all of you who have been engaging with our content over the last few years, and it's only going to continue as we get into the offseason. And some big things coming. Big things coming ahead, folks, and I can't wait. I can't wait for all of it. This is going to be a big, big summer. But this topic has been on my mind literally for years. This is something that 
I think needs to be discussed and needs to be understood. You know, when we see change uh, on a societal level, right, even if we go bigger picture than just the NBA, it's not always something that happens overnight, right? It, sometimes it takes time for these things to take place, but you can still kind of get a feel for the direction that things are going. For example, right, uh, the American Revolution. There were a lot of events that took place to lead us to Lexington and Concord, to actually shots being fired, right? I mean, you, you had, I mean, the Stamp Act, the Boston Tea Party, the Boston Massacre, the Townsend Acts, the Intolerable Acts, right? all, all these different things that, that are happening that lead you up to that point. Um, a less violent example would be, look at, look at our phones. How did we eventually get to the point where everybody has this thing in their pocket all the time? Right. And now this is our source for information. You want to know anything about anything. Hey, what time does this movie start at? Uh, who was the president of the United States in 1937? Right. Just anything that you want to know, you can look it up on here. And of course, do a heck of a lot more as well. Um, how did we get to that point? Well, I mean, when I was a kid, I had a cell phone that had a little antenna that you pulled out and all of that. Before that, there were the Zach Morris cell phones, the brick phones, all of that eventually evolved over time into what we have now today, which is a camera, which is a phone, which is the access to information, which is entertainment, which is all of these other things. But it didn't just happen overnight. It took time to get to that. Um, the invasion of Poland is largely seen as the, the start of World War II, but there were a lot of things that took place uh, in order to get there. So I think that on a smaller scale, obviously, than those big societal changes, um, and particularly when we're looking at war and things like that, right, this obviously is not nearly as serious or or on that kind of a, a level. But I think we're seeing a shift in the NBA that is going to determine how things play out moving forward. I think we're seeing a direction change, just like phones change the direction of our lives, changed how we interact with each other, changed our everyday lives. You look at the different wars and the way that those have changed the way society has acted. Heck, you look at disease, you look at pandemics and how that's changed the way that we interact with each other, the way that we go about our lives. So too is NBA life uh, about to change and it's in the midst of change right now. And I think it was brought upon in part by the Lakers. I think the Lakers really started this and I've talked about this a lot. The Lakers started a shift in the NBA in 2020 and obviously there was a lot going on at the time so it may have been difficult to recognize in the moment but the lakers started a trend of the two-star model right you go back to the to what 2008 and we had the celtics started the three-star model that was what they would they win with the three-star model and off you go and suddenly the three-star model becomes a thing and you saw the uh obviously you've got the Miami Heat that took that to another level. And that three-star roster build has been there for a long, long time since then. And it's all been, how can we get three stars on the same team together? And sometimes it works, sometimes it hasn't. Look at the Brooklyn Nets. And they put James Harden and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant together. I think the Lakers in 2020 signaled a shift away from the three-star model, and they did it accidentally. And now, now, I think we're at a point, we're at the precipice, of the death of the super team, the three-star model, I think it may be gone. I think it may be gone, and I think the NBA is legislating it out, and that is going to be really important for how we look at this Lakers team moving forward because I'll tell you what, the one thing that is consistent is that when we see change, when we see shift, those who can get ahead of it 
are able to manage it much better than those who are not. So in 2020, the Lakers were hoping to build a three-star model. They were hoping to build a team with Kawhi Leonard, with Paul George, uh, with Kawhi Leonard, with LeBron James, with Anthony Davis. Before Kawhi Leonard, it was Paul George. The, the original dream was LeBron James, Paul George, and then still have the assets to go trade for Anthony Davis. Kawhi says no. Rob Palenka very astutely, very wisely pivoted quickly, got guys like Danny Green to come in, got Boogie Cousins, Boogie gets hurt, turns him into Dwight Howard, right? It built out a roster of depth, essentially. And they go on to win a championship. Again, that was not their goal. That was not their plan. The plan was not, let's get two stars, LeBron and AD, and a bunch of depth. No, the plan was, let's get three stars. Let's get three. Let's get Kawhi. That was the plan. And that they won a championship. And the rest of the league kind of went, huh, look at that. They just won the whole thing with depth. Now, again, there was the pandemic is going on. Players are playing in a bubble. There's tons of other things happening. And so maybe we didn't pay, I know I talked about it at the time, but maybe we didn't pay enough attention in the moment to exactly what this meant for the league. Now, as time has gone on, we've seen multiple examples of the three-star roster builds fail. Hell, look at the Lakers. Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, Anthony Davis. Disaster. The aforementioned Brooklyn Nets, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving. Disaster. And part of the problem is, if you have a three-star roster build, you inherently don't have a lot of depth around those guys. And if you suffer any kinds of injuries or anything like that, or if any player has any kind of issues or any kind of problems, well, then you're in big, big trouble. Because now you're suddenly asking veteran minimum guys to perform way above their pay scale. And that is a big, big problem in the NBA. We're seeing now depth matters. And now we've got the Denver Nuggets winning the championship. And you look at what they had. They had, what, seven, eight guys who they could count on to perform specific roles and play those roles well. Think about how many times during this postseason run we saw, yes, Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray are the stars. Um, they paid Michael Porter Jr. a lot, paid him like a star. Frankly, I don't know if that's going to be possible moving forward. Aaron Gordon. But you also think about Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, our, our former friend, KCP, how many big moments he had. Bruce Brown, who they got on a taxpayer mid-level, how many big moments he had in this postseason. They had multiple role players who stepped up. They also had Christian Brown, who stepped up when he's a rookie. So you now have this two-star roster build winning out again. We saw the Bucks win a title with effectively two stars, with uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, right? With Chris Middleton. We've seen teams win with two stars and depth, and that be the model moving forward. But it's not just, hey, we don't want three stars on a team anymore. It's not just that. It's not just, hey, we think conceptually the best idea to win is to have depth. It's a shift at the NBA level where now we're seeing the league, and I think there's no going back here. The league does not want three-star roster builds anymore, does not want super teams. They don't want the talent combined in one spot. They want that talent dispersed. And I think they got a taste of it this year. And I think there's no return. There's no going back. Once they got a taste of parity, that's it. Just like when the play-in tournament first started, and right out of the gate, they got Lakers, Warriors in the play-in tournament, and it did crazy ratings. You knew that was it. The play-in was sticking. There was no getting rid of it. It was that aha light bulb moment and you knew there was simply no going back the play in tournament was going to be a thing 
moving forward. They were not going to try to undo any of that from that moment. I think we're at that point now with the new CBA coming in. And I think the way this playoffs played out, the way this season played out, is proof that what they're doing with the new CBA is the direction that the NBA wants to go. I think they got the proof of concept this playoff stretch. You look at what happened in the playoffs. You look at what happened in the regular season. You had a regular season at the NBA level that was incredible, right? What the NBA doesn't want is they don't want fans of teams in December throwing their hands up and going, well, that's it. We're done. Call us on draft night. They don't want that. They want fans engaged all the way through. Guess what they got? Look at what happened in the Western Conference. Fans of the Blazers, fans of the Mavs, fans of uh, even the Thunder didn't last very very far, but they were great, right? They had fans of the Jazz. These are teams that didn't either didn't make the postseason or didn't make any noise. Their fans were locked and engaged all the way through. All the way through, locked in and engaged because they were right there in the mix. And part of that is the play-in tournament, but part of that also is the parody that we see in the Western Conference. There was no 73-win Warriors team in the West. Yes, the Denver Nuggets, the one seed, wound up winning it all. But is anybody right now looking at the Denver Nuggets and going, that's it, they can't be beat. Let's just let, tear it down, rebuild, and let's wait for the Nuggets to fall off. No, nobody's doing that. People were doing that with the Golden State Warriors. That super team that was there. Now you've got, look in the West, you've got the Houston Rockets who were tanking this year, talking about going after James Harden, saying, why not us? The Denver Nuggets can win it all. Why not us? Why can't we come out of the West? The West was a dogfight this year, and it was so entertaining. And I think that from the NBA perspective, this is proof that the new CBA, which effectively creates a hard cap at $179 million. Now, that, that number is going to change as time goes on, as the salary cap changes. But it isn't a hard cap in name, but it's a hard cap in effect. This year, you will lose your mid-level your taxpayer mid-level exception if you go over that 179.5 million. Next summer, though, those super punitive punishments are going to come in, in terms of not being able to kick in money into trade, not being able to sign buyout players, not being able to do a lot of things. You lose your taxpayer mid-level on like they go on and on and on. Not being able to execute trades where you you pay more than 110 or where there's a difference of more than 110 percent. It's we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's very, very punishing to move past that $179.5 million mark. And so I think effectively that's going to operate as a hard cap. And what that means is that it's going to be all but impossible to build out a roster with three stars. Think about it. As the cap goes up, you're going to see stars that are making, and it's already happening, making $50 million, right? $50 million. If you have three guys making $50 million and you have, again, not a name, but in effect a hard cap at 179 and a half million dollars and you've got 180 million or 150 million plus in payroll on three players and you got to add 11 or 12 more guys and you have 30 million left over to do it that's really really difficult to build a competitive nba roster under those restrictions trying to pay 11 players something like 30 million dollars it's going to be all but impossible. What that means is that instead of one team having three stars, they're going to have two. And that extra star is going to get moved on to another team. Now, there's some downside to this, and I'm not a huge fan of this. I wish there was a way to get rid of this aspect of it because what's going to happen is teams are going to draft guys, teams are going to develop guys, and because of, again, in effect, the hard cap, they're going to have to move on from guys. They're going to have to let guys go. They're going to have to trade players away and not be able to keep them because of, in effect, this hard cap. I wish there was some type of loophole in this to de-emphasize the cap hit of players who are drafted by a specific team. So if you draft a guy, let's say you find a guy in the second round and it comes time to pay that guy, uh, or it may be undrafted. For example, Austin Reeves. Let's take Austin Reeves. The Lakers are going to have to pay him this summer. What if they were already at $175 million? What if they were already at that? 175 million in salary cap money spent. And now you have to pay Austin Reeves. What do you do? Well, you have to make a tough decisions, right? You have to trade somebody away. Maybe you have to pay another team to take some players. That's really difficult. It would be nice if there was some way to say, okay, only 25% of this player's salary is actually going to count against the cap. You're still going to pay the, the guy's still going to get paid, but we're not going to count the whole salary against the cap because you drafted this guy. We're going to give teams a reward for drafting and developing guys. But that's that's my dream, is that ultimately we'll wind up at this place. In the meantime, building out a roster now is going to be very difficult. And again, I think the NBA, they made a conscious effort to try to create more parity with this new CBA. And I think this year's regular season was the proof of concept, was their first taste of what parity looks like. And you can argue that super teams draw more eyeballs. But I think based on the number of fans that were locked in throughout the season, the NBA is going to see this as the way of the future. This roster build, this type of league where you have, instead of 10 teams, 15 teams maybe tanking and praying for lottery luck, you've got five teams, six teams, and the majority of NBA fans are locked in throughout the regular season. If the Miami Heat can make a run from the eight seed all the way to the NBA Finals, 
again, that keeps fans more invested, more engaged throughout the season. Now that they've got this, now that they've got a taste of it, it's not going away. So what does this mean for the Lakers? What does this mean for the Lakers and their future roster build? Well, I think what this means is, thank goodness the Lakers have a great scouting department. They have consistently, year after year, done a great job finding talent, particularly late in the draft. You look at the list of players they've get, they've got, right? Austin Reeves. I know people are down on Taylor Horton Tucker, but he's an NBA player, right? Finding an NBA player in the second round is massive. Um, you've got Kyle Kuzma, Jordan Clarkson, Ivica Zubats. I mean, you can argue, and the list goes on and on, you can argue that they didn't do a great job keeping some of these guys, and that's certainly fair. They didn't do a great job properly valuing these guys after drafting them, but they found them. They found them, and that's key because what this is going to turn into, what we're seeing, what we're in the middle of the shift of, the stars are still the stars. They're going to get paid no matter what. But what we're going to see is teams are going to struggle to afford to pay multiple high-level role players. See, when the Lakers first got their roster built together in 2020, it's, okay, You know, Danny Green's going to make $15 million. KTP is going to make a, a good amount of money. And if you keep that team together, Keeping that team together is going to get costly, but ultimately, you know, a starter is going to make 15 to 20 million. A key rotation player is going to make 10 to 15 million, right? Your fringe guys are going to make significantly less than that. What's going to be so critical under this new salary structure, this new way of the future of the NBA, where the top level talent is going to get redistributed because having three stars on a team is going to be very difficult. The teams that are going to be successful are not going to be the teams who can just identify those two stars. It's going to be the teams who are able to get outsized production out of their other players. So let's say you have two stars and you can pay a couple of high-level starters $20 million each. Then you're at $140 million. You still have to build out the rest of your salaries. So getting out of those players that are making $20 million, instead of just high-level starters, if you can find guys who are actually all-stars. Instead of rotation players for, say, I don't know, 10 million starter slash rotation player, you get a guy who's a clear starter on a championship team. If you can find a way to take a guy who is a fringe player, who is a guy who's maybe your ninth man, your 10th man, and instead of having to pay that guy five or six million, being able to pay that guy a lot less, being able to pay that guy maybe a biannual exception rate of three million, four million, something like that in there, that's going to be critical. And finding guys late in the first round and second round. And this is where the Lakers really come in who are able to step in and contribute right away. It's going to be so important. Imagine if you can get, if a rotation player makes, say, $10 million a year on average, and you can get a guy in the second round. Your scouting department is so good that you can get a guy in the second round that's making a million bucks and he's giving you rotation player production. Imagine the domino effect that means down your roster of how else you can spend money if you can get that at a much cheaper rate. I think the middle class in the NBA is going to get squeezed because of how critical it's going to be that teams find players that can contribute on contracts that are cheaper than what their production would suggest. Again, the stars are still the stars. They're going to get paid, but the more pressure is going to be put on front offices in order to land those players on cheap, team-friendly contracts so they can build out a true roster because two stars and no depth doesn't work. It's got to be two stars and depth. And the only way you're going to get that depth is by getting some players on cost-controlled contracts. Post-LeBron, what does this mean? Well, 
when we first started talking about the post-LeBron era, it was, well, what do you do with Anthony Davis? Can you get Anthony Davis and two other star players? I don't know. How do you do that? LeBron walks away. How do you find two more stars? Well, now it's not two more stars. Now it's probably one more. Can you get one star to come team up with Anthony Davis? And then from there, can you do well enough in the draft with your second round picks, with your first round picks in order to add the depth around them? And then once you've got your two stars locked in, there's going to be a churn. There's going to be players who are leaving your roster because they play too well. There's going to be guys that you're not going to be able to pay. And that's just the reality of the new NBA. Players won't be able to be, be paid. You're going to trade them off for draft capital and restart the process all over again, where you ideally hit on some young talent that's cheap, cost-controlled, and off you go moving forward again around your two stars. Who those role players are will change as they move up the ladder and start to make more. Again, I think that's the unfortunate side of the new CBA. But for the Lakers, this all means that you need to lean even more on your scouting department and you have to do what you can to find late first-round picks and early second-round picks. I think this is why the Denver Nuggets made that trade the other day where they sent their 2029 first-round pick to get a late first and multiple seconds from the Oklahoma City Thunder because they understand if you can find rotation players with those picks, that's going to be incredibly valuable under the new collective bargaining agreement. So for the Lakers, again, it's about relying on those things. Now, they are going to be without their 2024 first or 2025 first. One of those is gone. Their 2027 first is gone to the Utah Jazz. Right now, either 2024 or 2025, that first-round pick is gone to the Pelicans. So I think the Lakers have to be very careful with, with their draft capital moving forward. Under this new system, the new wave of the NBA, drafting well, which we already know the Lakers do, is going to be incredibly important probably just as important as finding those two stars and locking in on them. That's going to be a task in and of itself. If they decide to keep, if they decide to keep Anthony Davis, it's going to be, how do you find that other star to be with him whenever LeBron sails off into the sunset, but keeping draft capital and drafting well is going to be so important. Again, if you can find somebody in the second round and you're paying that guy a million dollars, maybe a little bit more. And that guy is giving you rotation player production. I know we tend to just go, oh, whatever. He's a guy, right? He's not a star. He's playing 10 minutes a night, whatever. Those guys are going to matter a lot in the new NBA. If you can get a guy playing those 10 minutes that's costing you a million dollars instead of $10 million, that changes so much on what you can do in the rest of your roster in terms of finding more starters, in terms of finding other high-level players. It's going to be important that teams are shrewd with their money, and that is not always something we've seen from the Lakers. So again, we've seen them draft well over the years, but we haven't always seen them do well in terms of signing team-friendly contracts, at least not team-friendly contracts that go into the future. You look at Malik Monk. Everybody knew the deal that he signed, he was going to get paid as long as he showed out. It was a one-year deal, and the Lakers probably weren't going to be able to pay him. You can't really do that so much anymore. No, you, you can but we're going to need to see contracts that are much more team-friendly. We need to see more team options on deals that allow more team flexibility. We need to see more non-guaranteed years later in deals. Teams, things that go in the benefit of the team. It's going to be important that Rob Palenka, the front office, is able to negotiate these things into their contracts because I don't think we can see as many player-friendly deals moving forward. That's going to be important. Getting stuck with a bad contract is going to be all the more damaging than it was in the previous era of the NBA. I think the super team 
is going the way of the dinosaur. It's going away. It's going to be dead, extinct. Instead, it's going to be a two-star roster build model. We already saw the beginnings of that with the Lakers in 2020. Now we've hit a point where it is going to be legislated in with the new collective bargaining agreement. And that means for the Lakers and for other teams, their scouting department becomes all the more important and their ability to negotiate team-friendly contracts is going to be critical as well. So I don't want to say we're entering a scary time in the end. I don't want to freak anybody out or anything like that. It's just change, right? And that's the one constant in life is change. Things are always changing. Things are constantly shifting. There are things I don't like about the new CBA, but that also doesn't mean that it can't be a good thing. Again, I think we saw some of the fun side effects of parody this year in this league. So for the Lakers, it's going to be about adapting to this change very quickly. The quicker you adapt, the quicker you read what is coming and prepare yourself for it and make moves, the sooner you are going to be able to get back to the top and the better positioned you're going to be compared to your rivals. So Lakers Nation, that's what's been bouncing around in my head. Uh, looking at kind of the way everything is moving and shifting in the NBA. I think what we saw this year is an example of what's to come. It's going to be the new NBA, the new path towards roster building, and there's going to be a lot more intricacies for us to get into. But give me your thoughts in the comments down below. Do you think the Lakers are well positioned to adapt to the reality of the new NBA that we are at the dawn of? Give me your thoughts. Over on YouTube, in the comments section, over on Apple Podcasts, in the reviews, Spotify, wherever it is that you're listening or watching. Thank you again, everybody, for tuning in. Till next time, see you, and stay safe.